If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 6. Maybe we could just have a word of prayer again. Our great God and our Father, um, we, uh, we who have received your Son, your beloved Son, we have every right to call you Father. You've uh, given us that right to be called your children because we have trusted in your Son. and He is the Savior of the world and especially of us who believe. And so we are glad to be a part of your family and to look to you, to really look to you this morning with the eyes of faith, our hearts desiring to be open in our minds that you should speak to us. And as we open your word, we know that you still speak today, that uh, in a very real way you desire to be heard by your children, that you might instruct us and guide us. You care for us uh, beyond what we can even imagine. Your love for us is, is uh, something to explore uh, in infinitely so throughout all eternity. And yet we see it so beautifully displayed for us in the giving of your Son. That's how we know. That's how we know. You made it clear. You manifested your love to the whole world by the giving of your Son and offering Him up as a sacrifice for us. We would have had no other, as, our, as we were thinking this morning, no other remedy. So we're just uh, humbled before you as your children, but yet... Um, just uh, delighted uh, to look to you and to seek a blessing from you. We know also, uh, Father, there might be those here who cannot yet call you Father. They still have not come to that point where they've trusted in your Son. And although he loves them and he gave himself for them, uh, they still have not yet to come to see him as their Savior and of their desperate need of him. And that outside of him there is no hope at all. Um, so we just ask that uh, even this morning that somehow you would have a word even for them too and uh, would be such a blessing. So we uh, seek you for this. We petition in prayer for this even before we begin our message. Uh, just thanking you so much for these baptisms. What a delight to be able to. I feel so fortunate to have been here today. Um, so thank you for that blessing to me. And we just commit our time into your care, Father, asking these things in once again, your beloved Son's name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Let us do good to all. It's really a, a world of need out there. Uh, everywhere we look, uh, there are opportunities, no doubt, that we come across where we might be able to do good to people. And Paul here would certainly want to communicate that it should be our agenda, it should be our desire to be ready to do good to all. Every place that we have opportunity to be able to do good. But it's interesting, isn't it, how he narrows it down a bit here to get a little more specific. And he says especially, Yes, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those 
who are of the household of faith. How important it is for God's children, yes, to be ready and eager to do good to all as we have opportunity, but especially, especially to the household of faith. That's what I'd like to share with you a bit this morning and even next week, Lord willing, is the needs that we have amongst ourselves and the ability that we have to be able to meet those needs as we serve one another and we look to do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I'm hoping that as I speak of the word need, uh, that your thinking will be very broad. Um, There's all kinds of needs. There's physical needs. There's emotional needs. There's spiritual needs. There's financial needs. There's all kinds of needs around us. And I hope you'll think very broadly as I use the word need that any of these things could come under that heading and uh, any of these things we might have an opportunity to meet. And so as I continue to talk about needs both this, this, uh, this morning and next week, just think very broadly about all the possible needs that could be around us. And the proper spiritual attitude, the proper spiritual attitude is to be zealous to be zealous for good works, zealous for good works, like eager. It doesn't save us, but boy, is there a lot of work to do once we're saved. Good works are certainly a part of God's plan just not to be saved. But after we're saved, he's got a lot of work for us to do. It's even like the children of Israel. They were in Egypt. They couldn't serve God while they were slaves in Egypt. They couldn't serve God while they were slaves in Egypt. He had to free them first. Then they could serve him. And uh, that was really the number one reason. Between the, uh, the, um, the burning bush and the Red Sea, God gives a number of reasons of why he was bringing Israel out of Egypt. And the one that he repeated most frequently was so that you might serve me. But they couldn't serve while they were slaves. Not in Egypt. They had to be freed first. Then they could do the works of God. And the same thing with a Christian. Before we were saved, we were slaves of sin. That's what the Bible says. And there's no way to serve God acceptably while we are slaves to sin. We need to be freed first. And um, God sent a servant to free the Israelites. His name was Moses. And God sent a servant to free us. His name was Jesus. And uh, once we are free, oh, we are to be zealous for good works, eager to accomplish those things that the Father would have us to do, Our Savior paid such a price, such a costly price that he might redeem us. Whenever you see the word redemption in the Bible, just think of the the idea of cost, that when you redeem something, it costs something. It costs something. And it costs so very much for us to be redeemed. It cost his precious blood. He laid down his life so that he might redeem us. And what took place on that cross, the suffering that he went through for our sin, it's, uh, it's beyond our comprehension. Those of you who are visiting, I know that here every uh, Sunday morning, the saints gather here because they want to remember the Lord and what he did at Calvary. And you know, every Sunday when they come here and they take the bread and they take the cup, I'm sure they're just like me and they say, I just, uh, I can't, I can't. Grasp this again. I am in awe and wonder again at what it is that he did there. 
such a cost, such a love displayed. And he paid that price that he might redeem us and have a purified people. He wanted to have a purified people. And I love this next phrase. I'm quoting from the book of Titus. He wanted to have a purified people for himself. And that's not selfish at all. <laughs> Maybe when we say we want something for ourselves, there might be some selfishness there, something inappropriate, but it's perfectly right and just and good and beautiful that God should say, I've purified you, redeemed you at such a great cost for myself. A people purified for himself, zealous for good works, and no doubt especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, when we read that the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church. Beautiful language, you know. Nourishes and cherishes. Well, just how do we think he does that? How does he nourish and cherish the church? No doubt by means of the church. (laughs) There's this beautiful phrase there in Ephesians where It's speaking about the body of Christ and it's speaking about every part doing its share. And we get this lovely little phrase there that says, for the edifying of itself. For the edifying of itself, for the building up of itself. That's the intention that God would use the church to edify the church. The whole part says, Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Another translation puts that last part this way. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you would turn with me now to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. So it's the Lord's intention to nourish and cherish the church by means of the church. He's even called us his body. And it's his intention that each part do its share and that as each part is doing what it's supposed to, it causes growth in the body. And uh, we are to be zealous to do those things, especially to the household of faith. And here in Acts chapter 6, a need comes up. A need comes up. Now it's going to be a specific need. And uh, we don't really want to focus so much on the specific need that's going to be presented to here, here to us. But again, just to think very broadly about what kinds of needs uh, could come to mind as we just think about that subject. So here it's a very specific one involving uh, widows. And I kind of feel compelled to say that uh, because um, this, I'll, I'll go ahead and admit to you that uh, I don't know how preachers like to do this, but this, is, this message has been really on my heart and it's not the first time I've given it. <laughs> um, it's very close to my heart and uh, as I prayed for you all before coming, the message just kept coming to mind as I prayed for you and uh, so I knew it was like the right one to give again. Um, but I know that after I've given it a couple of places that uh, an issue of widows was going on in the company of believers and so I felt that maybe it's right to say as we get ready to read this, that if uh, there is a matter of widows here, that uh, uh, it's also good to take into consideration, no doubt, 
the other things the scripture has to say about widows, uh, like what are widows indeed, who should really be taken care of, and uh, there are some qualifications. So I just throw that out there based on uh, experience that uh, it's, a, it's a subject a little bit broader than, than what we're going to read here. But a need arises, and what I'd like to point out this morning is who they sought to meet those needs. So let's look at this together. So the early church, Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. You know, as you just read that last verse there, you realize that when the needs are met among the people of God, uh, good things happen. <laughs> good things happen. Uh, and uh, God moves, and people get saved when the needs within the assembly are met. But we observe that those whom they selected to meet the need that arose, they had some qualifications here. They had a good reputation, didn't they? They had a good reputation. We see that they had wisdom. But what I really like to focus on this morning is that they were full of the Holy Spirit. They were full of the Holy Spirit. This is what they were looking for. They were looking for those to meet needs. And this is really the thrust of what I'd like to say this morning, that there are needs among God's people and that what we really need are believers full of the Holy Spirit meeting those needs. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for Christians full of the Holy Spirit to meet the needs that were among them. Elsewhere, the scriptures give us a good idea of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what we read in another place. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I like how this verse kind of helps put uh, some light on what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit by both contrasting it and comparing it to what it means to be intoxicated with alcohol. And uh, when someone's intoxicated with alcohol, we would say, they are under the influence. That's uh, how we would perhaps put it. They are under the influence of that wine or that alcohol. They're under the influence of it. And as it fills them, it takes control of them. And it leads to all kinds of wasteful and shameful and ungodly behavior. The Christian, the Christian should be under the influence too. So the next time you're pulled over by a police officer because you drifted over the yellow lines a little bit and he asks you, uh, sir, are you under the influence, ma'am? Are you under the influence? Hopefully you could say, I certainly am. <laughs> now you'll probably have to explain a little bit more. <laughs> um, but uh, 
really and truly, such should be the case. Not wine. A person. There's a person that's supposed to be exercising control over the Christian. A gift even from the Father it came. He came. Forgive me for saying it. He came. The Spirit of God. The Christians should have something exercising control over them and that something is a person. The Spirit of God. And just as wine has control over the person whom it fills, so the Spirit has control of the Christian whom he fills. I just say that again. That's just the point of the illustration. Just as wine has control over the person whom it fills, so the Spirit of God has control over the person whom he fills. And this is what we need. And what we read there in Acts was that this is what was desired in those meeting the needs of others was that they be full of the Holy Spirit. And I just submit to you this morning that this is something worth observing. It's something worth imitating. How well we serve others, particularly our brothers and sisters, and meet their needs when our lives are truly characterized by being under the control of the Holy Spirit. And at some point, every Christian has got to come to understand this. There's got to be a point in every Christian's life when they realize, I need to be continually under the influence of the Spirit of God who is within me. Whether we realize it or not, brothers and sisters, we desperately need each other. Every single one of us. We desperately need each other. We need the care that God intends to bring through each other as we are full of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, can you imagine what an assembly would be like? I know this is a pretty healthy assembly here. Can you imagine what an assembly would be like if every believer was in the constant and careful practice of being under the influence of the Spirit of God? What if you were... This is, it's going to get real personal. <laughs> what if you were? What if I was? It seems to me, and I'm sure to others too, by our own experience, that we can be found pretty careless, pretty woefully careless about this whole matter. And we are no doubt ignorant of just how much blessing would flow both from us and to us if we took care to be under his influence. We really, yeah. We'll get to the heart of this carelessness shortly, but first, maybe to backtrack a little bit. We do know that the Spirit of God dwells in us, right? I mean, this is a basic truth, right? Uh, If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Uh, We have verses that speak to this in Corinthians, both in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Paul is speaking to the individual believer and saying your body, your physical body is like a temple. Sometimes it's even referred to as a tent, the tabernacle. And you know it's supposed to bring the reader's mind back to the Old Testament and say the temple, the tabernacle, Well, God dwelled in the temple. God dwelled in the tabernacle. That's where the presence of the Lord was. And that's the intention of using that language is to say to the believer, the Lord is dwelling in you. 
His spirit is dwelling in you. You're the temple of God. In the second Corinthians, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. This is a reality. And as I stand up here, what you see is, um, as, as a body. As I look out at you all, I see bodies. But as you look at me, I'll, I'll tell you this, that although you can't see it, I assure you that I have a soul. <laughs> I have a soul, I really do. <laughs> you just can't see it, but I assure you that I have one, even though you can't see it. I also have my own spirit, and you can't see that either. And I assure you that I have a spirit of my own, because if I didn't, I would be dead. <laughs> Because the body without the spirit is dead. So I have my own spirit. But just as assuredly as I tell you that I have a soul and I have a spirit that you can't see, I tell you with the utmost confidence that I know that the spirit of the living God dwells in me. And although you cannot see him, and although even as I look out at you, like I look at Trey, you know, saved, absolutely saved. He's sitting there, the spirit of God is in him. The Spirit of the living God. I can't see the Spirit, but I'm assured that He's taken up His residence there in Him. And what a marvel it is. What a marvel it is that God should have such a desire to dwell in His people. It was a marvel when He wanted to dwell in the midst of His people. And when when Moses saw the burning bush, and, and there was the Lord as a consuming fire in the midst of the bush, speaking out to him out of the midst of the fire. I'm convinced that what God was doing was giving Moses a little picture of, about, of what he was about ready to do. That he who, the, who is the God, who is a consuming fire, who would even appear to the children of Israel on the mountaintop as a consuming fire, he says, I want to dwell right in the midst of my people. And just as this flame dwells in the midst of this bush and doesn't consume it, I, the God who am a consuming fire, want to dwell in the midst of my people, and yet I will not, I will not consume them. That's exactly what his intention was. And when he brought them out from their slavery, out of Egypt, and he brought them to the mountain, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, and they looked up, and the whole mountain is shaking, and lightning is shooting out, and the Lord is descending from heaven upon the mountain in fire. The whole mountain can barely keep itself together under the presence of the descending Lord. And they were terrified, absolutely terrified. We learn in the book of Hebrews that Moses was terrified at the sight, exceedingly trembling as they looked up and saw the Lord as a consuming fire in their sight. And then he sends this message to them and says, Make me a tent. (laughs) Make me a tent. A tent. Okay, so I had some cherubim etched in it. Okay, so I had some glory to it. It was still a tent. The eternal God, who is a consuming fire, desired a place, a tabernacle, where he could dwell in the midst of his people, right in the middle of the camp. Make me a tabernacle that I may dwell among them. And the message perhaps comes to the people and they say, wait a second. When he was on the mountain, we were terrified. We saw him descending in the fire, and the whole mountain could, could, could barely compose itself under his presence, and we were terrified from a distance. You say he wants to draw near and be right in the middle of the camp? How are we not going to be consumed by him? And Moses could say, so I saw this bush. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. There was the fire. 
There was the bush. And somehow the fire didn't consume the bush. Yeah. Remarkable that, that he should desire such a thing, that such a thing would even be possible, that he could dwell in the midst of his people. And I'm sure the angels in heaven are just, uh, how, what? <laughs> We've seen his glory. How is it that he can be there in the midst of his people and not consume them? And if it should make us marvel that that's true, And it should. What is it that he now dwells in as people? How are we not consumed? (laughs) How are we not consumed by him, this God who is a consuming fire? What a reality. What a thing to be in awe of again, that the Spirit of God dwells in us. But as we've already considered briefly, there's more for the Christian than having the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with. There's a distinction. That is to say, fully yielded to him, under his influence, under his control. This is, uh, we may not not see it as such immediately, but what an honor. What an honor and a privilege that I could be under the divine influence of the Spirit of God in my life that more and more my life can be characterized by his control over it. And here's a probably little twist that maybe some don't realize. Would you turn back to Acts chapter 2? This remarkable privilege is not just for certain believers, but for all. Here at the beginning of the church, it seems as though the Lord is uh, wanting to at least display some characteristics that, uh, that ought to uh, show what the church is meant to be like. So look at verse 1. This is the day of Pentecost where the church began. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. All the Christians, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon the twelve apostles. Don't worry, my translation is not that different. (laughs) That's not what it says, does it? Tongues of fire sat upon each of them. There's like probably about 120 we learned from the chapter previous. 120, and tongues of fire sat upon not just the twelve, but on each of them. And look at the next verse. And they were, the twelve apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not what it says either, right? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All, 120 of them, if not more, less give and take. Wow. Each of them. All of them, full of the Holy Spirit. This is God's desire. This is God's design because there's a lot of needs. There's a lot of needs among God's people. And how well we meet those needs when we go forth full of the Holy Spirit. Lydia, Mariana, Diane, Taylor, Ella Ruby, and Molly Joy. I was just thinking about you guys. You have the presence of the Spirit of God. 
but you can also be filled with the Spirit of God. And we need you. We need you desperately for whatever care God intends to bring through you to this assembly. We are in need of that. When we go through the book of Acts, we see there's power there. There is power there. You've got people full of the Holy Spirit, and you see power there. When people are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have people through whom the power of God works. And as we yield to the Spirit of God, instead of resisting Him, or instead of grieving Him, we experience His power. Like, power. Very real power. We read elsewhere, walk in the Spirit. It's another way I would think to put being filled with the Spirit is to walk in the Spirit. Being filled, it's speaking of like a way of life. That's how you're continually found. And uh, the Spirit constantly has control over you. Walking in the Spirit, it's a manner of life. That's just what characterizes you is that you're walking in the Spirit. And the Scripture says walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Do we believe that? Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That is power. I hope, I mean, it, um, sometimes I feel like a, a bit of hesitation to speak uh, any, anything in this regard personally because, you know, uh, God resists the proud. So I don't want to step into that realm whatsoever. But I defend what I'm about to say by saying that this is supposed to be the common Christian experience. And based on that, I say, you know, I experience this power in my life. I really do. There's power there. I'm not saying that I don't stumble and fall from time to time, but I know this power, and I am sure that there are those of you here who do know this power. It's very real, especially over sin. We live in the Spirit as believers, says Paul in that verse in Galatians. We live in the Spirit as believers. And since that is true, let us also walk in the Spirit. And as uh, James said that verse, it's actually been said a couple times here this morning already, even so we should walk in newness of life. Not as slaves to sin anymore. We're free at a great cost. We are free to serve God and to meet the needs of the people of God in this very assembly. To walk in newness of life under the controlling influence of the Spirit of God. Experiencing His power and able to go forth and meet the needs around us. Oh, to see this more clearly. And here's another little... Um, this is, the, this is uh, probably the closest thing I'd like to say that's to my own heart in this message. is. Uh, my personal relationship with the Spirit of God, my personal relationship with the Spirit of God matters to you. My personal relationship with the Spirit of God matters to you. Because there are needs that you have that God intends to meet through me for whatever my part is. I'm here one week a year. But for whatever my part is to come here and meet whatever needs God intends to meet through me. It matters to you when I come here what my relationship with the Spirit of God is. My desire is when I come here to be full of the Holy Spirit. I pray to that end. 
but it matters. My personal relationship with the Spirit of God matters to you. If I desire to come here and meet Neans, do I not desire to come here in the power of the Holy Spirit? Indeed, I do. And your personal relationship with the Spirit of God matters to me. It matters to one another. This is not a disconnected thing. My relationship with the Spirit of God matters to you. And we want to be living, walking in that power. We don't want moments here and there, but rather a continual working of that power so that we might continually care for one another as we ought. I know perhaps, uh, I don't know what everybody, everybody's stand on this is, but it seems clear in the scriptures that a person can be full of the Holy Spirit for a moment or two, or for a time, and then not be full of the Holy Spirit. What I'm uh, putting forth and just uh, hoping that we desire is that more and more we are characterized by this, and then it, 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 it's a way of life that we are under his control. But there are times, perhaps, when we are under his control, and then we are not, when we are full of the Holy Spirit, and then we are not. We could probably use examples from our own life, perhaps... Uh, one that came to mind is witnessing. Sometimes you're witnessing and you may not be living the most godly life, but uh, you get into a conversation with someone and you start sharing the gospel and all of a sudden verses come to mind and you're just really you're just along for the ride. And after you're done, you're like, how in the world did I just do that? How in the world did I share those things so clearly? How did those things come to mind? How did I avoid all the pitfalls that they were setting up for me? And for a moment and for a circumstance, you were full of the Holy Spirit and he, he had his influence on you for a purpose. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that characterizes your day-by-day life. We see that in Peter. Peter gets up to preach at Pentecost. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He preaches this message. 3,000 people get saved. I mean, it's glorious. What a glorious day. Under the influence of the Spirit of God as Peter gets up to speak. But we know later on, don't we? Maybe shocking for people who don't know this, because um, sometimes Peter is elevated more than he should be. Um, but later on, this way the scriptures speak of it says he plays the part of a hypocrite. He plays the part of a hypocrite and he goes and starts eating with the Jews and separates himself from the Gentiles. And that was not an activity where he was being influenced by the Holy Spirit, not at all. In fact, Paul had to scold him, had to rebuke him in front of the others because of it. And we realize that, uh, that this can be the scenario where there can be times, period of times when we're under his controlling influence, but then we slip into other areas of, of our lives where it isn't so. And I'm sure that this is what they were looking for when they were trying to meet these needs in the book of Acts. It's not like they said, hey, uh, Bob over there, you know, sometimes the Spirit fills him. Maybe we can get him to meet some of these needs. They were looking for people whose lives were characterized day by day by being under the influence of the Spirit of God. That's what we want. Day by day, under the influence of, this, of the Spirit. I remember uh, reading this story about a man who had a blessed experience. And uh, it was quite a blessed experience. I don't know what the blessed experience was, but that was his term. It was a blessed experience. And so he told the story, you know, whenever he had a chance, you know, and the years went on, he even wrote it down to make sure that he wouldn't forget all the details of it. And every once in a while he would 
get the paper out and he would read it and he would speak about his blessed experience that he had some time years and years ago. And uh, one day at some time had passed since the last telling of his blessed experience, but he had some people over at the house and uh, it came to mind. And so he told his wife to go up to his dresser and and, uh, get the piece of paper out, his blessed experience, that he might read it to the guests. And she went up there and through the course of time and a few active moths, somehow the paper just was so well tattered that you couldn't really read what it was that was on there. And she came down and reported the bad news and then said, maybe you should get a new blessed experience. <laughs> and sometimes we like, imagine if Peter was like that, you know, like his whole life. Remember that time at Pentecost? That was great. You know, that was so great when I was full of the Holy Spirit. What a blessed experience. No, we want new stories. We want someone to say, so what's the Lord doing for you these days? Well, this morning, let me tell you what happened. I saw one song, I listened to Pandora, and, and uh, not to, not to uh, speak anything against the artist, I don't even know who it was that sings this song, but um, something just struck me about the words they sing, um, Spirit, come and fill this place. Spirit, come and fill this place. And um, I guess the idea is, you know, Sunday morning, um, you know, Spirit, come and fill this place, as in like this room, um, you know, like we want to see you uh, moving here among us, Fill this place, and uh, for whatever legitimate request that is, I mean, I'm not so I don't I don't know, but uh, I did just consider that there's such an opportunity for hypocrisy there, because uh, someone could say, "Oh, spirit, fill this place, move among us," but yet they're not so interested in uh, the spirit filling them. Fill this place but I'm a little hesitant about you feeling me. Have control here in this hour, but don't really exercise control over me. How about seeing to it that you're filled with the Spirit, that you're filled with the Spirit, and that you're filled with the Spirit on Monday? How about that? (laughs) How about on Monday? Tuesday and Wednesday. Can you imagine what an assembly would be like if every believer was in the constant and careful practice of being under the influence of the Spirit of God? How healthy, how strong and vibrant we'd be individually and collectively. And and it matters. My personal relationship with the Spirit of God who dwells in me, it matters. It matters to you and the needs that you have and whatever my part is to meet those needs. Because there's a need for that power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit present to meet the needs that we have among us. I'd like to read uh, just a few more minutes here together. Um, I'd like to read some older books. And uh, there's this phrase I've seen a couple of times. I'd like to revive it a bit because it seems... uh, I just like like this. I'm going to... Uh, suggested to you, and maybe you'll appreciate it too, but the writers will talk sometimes about going forth to do things, whatever it is that God would have us to do, that we would go forth to accomplish whatever it is God wants us to do. And here's the phrase, in the power of an ungrieved Holy Spirit. To go forth to do whatever it is that God would have us to do in the power of an ungrieved Holy Spirit. Uh, Yeah, I like that. 
Imagine the kind of power that's there when he is exercising, controlling influence over me, filling me, and I go forth in the power of the Spirit as he's ungrieved in me. Imagine the things that could take place. Imagine the power and the needs that can be met even here in this assembly when each of us is going forth so very careful to yield to the Spirit of God in our life. Well, that's actually, I wanted to finish up with something practical. What responsibility does the believer have in order to have a life characterized as one filled with the Spirit? It's really very simple. It isn't easy, but it's simple. I must yield to Him. I must yield to the Spirit of God. If I want to be filled with the Spirit of God, I must yield to Him. Earlier I made the statement that we can be found careless about this whole aspect of our Christian life, woefully careless, and I think this is where it happens. We are not often filled with the Spirit and therefore not enjoying and experiencing the power of the Spirit as we should, meeting the needs that are around us as we should, simply because we are careless about yielding to the Spirit. This is such an extremely personal and practical thing. I, me, day by day, have a responsibility to yield to the Spirit who dwells in me. And I, for one, know from my own experience, my own personal experience, as I'm sure many of us could say, that we have not been as careful as we ought to have been in this. We have not been as joyfully and steadfastly eager to submit to the leading of the Spirit in this matter or in that matter. I don't know if I can get specific in a minute, but... Now listen, if I say something... You know, this is one of the things that they, you know, preachers preach and they say things and uh, teachers teach and someone will come up and say, you were talking about me. How did you know? And I had no idea. Um, it's just one of those things that happens because the Spirit of God is just working through the Word of God. So I don't know. I don't, as I say the things I'm about to say, I don't know what the circumstances are with each person. But Along the subject of yielding to the Spirit of God in a very personal way, maybe the Spirit of God, someone here, the Spirit of God is pressing on you that you need to be exercising more faith. Maybe that's the very issue and you know it. You know, you just sometimes you just like, just feel like you've got to just pause and let the Spirit of God just, just do what He needs to do in the hearts of us. What about self-control? What about self-control? Am I yielding to the Spirit of God in my life on Monday when it comes to that area of self-control? Do I not see that it matters? My personal relationship with the Spirit of God on Monday and on Tuesday, it matters to you. Because there are needs that you have and the Spirit intends to meet them through me in His power. What about, I don't know, if there's people here, uh, brothers and sisters, and maybe the Spirit of God is pressing on you, you need to be more honest about something. You know, and you know it. Maybe it's you need to witness to somebody and you're not, and you're, you know. You know the Spirit of God is pressing on you, that you need to say something to someone. And... I remember it's, it's, it's that you know it, okay? It's not that I'm saying that you need to do it or someone else is saying that you need to do it, but the Spirit of God is saying that you need to do it, and you know it. My mom is the only one saved in her whole family. Um, 
her brother one day, so antagonistic against God, so rebellious, so hard-hearted, doesn't want anything to do with God. One day he's walking along the beach by himself and he falls to the ground and he can't get up. And in his own words, he told my mom this, in his own words, he knew it was God holding him to the ground. He knew it was God. No one had to tell him that. No one said, hey, you know what that was? No, he knew it was God. That's all the difference, you know? When you know it's God and no one has to tell you that. And he knew it was God holding him to the ground and it seems to me as though it was an illustration quite vividly of God saying, humble yourself under my mighty hand. And he could not, as he struggled to get up, he could not. And eventually, the Lord, of course, relented and he got up and it didn't change him at all. But what a difference when we know and how condemnable is it to us when we know what the Spirit of God is saying and we know what God is doing in our life. We know it. No one has to tell us it. We know in our hearts. Maybe there's someone we need to reconcile with. It matters. Maybe our life is out of balance concerning spiritual things. You know, things are just, and the Spirit of God has been pressing upon you recently that things are not right. There's too much of this and not enough of me. And you're going to say, Scott, I don't know, okay? I don't know who this might apply to, but certainly all of these things have applied to me at one time or another. There's really no way around this, though. If I want to live in such a way that my life is characterized as being filled with the Spirit, I must be under the constant and careful practice of yielding to Him. And if you don't know what the Spirit of God wants, if you're not sure, um, I would go into this, but our time is out. Uh, but I'll leave one more extremely practical thing. If you want a practical way to do this, if you're interested, like maybe there's some here, Maybe there's some here and you say, uh, you're a believer and you say, well, I knew, I knew the Spirit of God dwelt in me. I didn't realize there was a distinction that, that, that as I let the Spirit of God have control over me, that I can be filled with him and that my brothers and sisters need that from me so that I can, for my part, meet their needs and that it matters on Monday and on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I want that. I desire that. How do I go about that? Well, the first part was we need to be aware that we need to yield to him as he brings things to our heart. Well, how do I know what he wants me to yield to? You've got to be devoted to this book. It doesn't have to be as nicely covered as this. <laughs> Sorry. Just a little plug there for Paul's Leather Company. <laughs> but uh, you have to yield to this book. This is the sword of the Spirit. And, you know, there's people that stay away from this book, and even believers, they say, you know what? Um, I really like what I'm doing. I'm, I'm comfortable and I'm not really under too much conviction, so I'm feeling pretty good. But as soon as I go to the Word of God, the Spirit of God uses that as, as a sword. And, and swords don't usually, like, when they're used against somebody, they're not usually like a delightful kind of experience. That usually hurts. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. We need to be devoted to this, to know what the Spirit of God wants, and then yield to Him. And know the joy and the blessing that would flow from us and to us as we yield to him, we're filled with him, and meet all the needs that are here in this local assembly. Oh, to see his power at work, to see needs being met. 
We need each and every one to do their part. And it matters on Monday. It matters. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we just thank you so much for the, the, the joyful opportunity we have as your children to not only have the presence of your spirit within us, but even to be under his controlling influence more and more so as a way of life. We're so thankful for those opportunities where you fill us with your spirit to meet some immediate need. But, oh, that we would be stirred up by your spirit even this morning, that it should more and more characterize us day by day, that we would be very sensitive uh, to yield to him and to be actively seeking what it is that he would bring us under conviction about, and that we would do this especially by being devoted to your word. We pray that it would become a part of our life. We pray for those who are just baptized today. They would love your word. They would love it, that they would spend every day in it. And as you reveal to them the kind of person that they are, as you use your word like a mirror, as you use it like a sword, may they yield to your spirit. And may they prove to be a blessing to this assembly here, above and beyond what anyone is even asking for or thinking. May needs be met through them in the most powerful way as the Spirit of God has control over their lives. But not just for those who are baptized, but for every believer, each of us, all of us, What a wonderful thing it would be to see an assembly of Christians all gathered in one place, all and each filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, the needs, how they would be met. In the early church, it says, Father, there wasn't a need among them. There wasn't a need among them. We pray that uh, this might be fulfilled even in this place. May we see our part in this, even by your Spirit this morning as he convicts us and moves us and stirs us up. So we ask all of these things in your son's name, your beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his namesake. Amen.